Hello and welcome to Millennial Money Mindset. If you want the fruits, you need the roots. So we're joined for the second time by Ellie from This Girl Talks Money. And today we're gonna to talk specifically about millennials. So my book was called Millennial Money Mindset, but we've got, so I, I consider myself a millennial, but I'm kind of clinging on for dear life. I'm kind of like 38. Um, and I, when I went to kind of pitch my book idea to quite a lot of people, everyone was kind of thinking millennials were kind of saving and um, looking kind of cooking food with like baked beans or kind of, you know, noodles and students. It's, but kind of a millennial today is 25 to 40. So we've kind of lived through a um, financial crash. We've kind of lived through kind of the internet and we're, we're kind of in a way lucky that we can walk to any supermarket and kind of pick up food from all over the world. We can, at a click of a button, we can um, book a holiday in a, someone else's house using Airbnb. We can call a taxi. Yeah, so in a sense, we've never been luckier to be alive. It's uh, healthcare is pretty good compared to 100 years ago. If you want to start a business, it's we can use a laptop and, you know, 100 pounds cost of a laptop rather than I mean, 150 years ago, you might have had a, you know, build a whole factory. But for all that upside, there's quite a lot of downside. So we're kind of living through a massive housing bubble or boom, however you want to call it, um, where kind of house prices are kind of nuts. So they've risen since the 1990s, they've risen over 500%, which is kind of crazy. And I remember back in the, the 90s where I was kind of growing up, I was only eight years old. I remember when the house prices crashed in the 90s, interest rates went to 15%. Kind of people forget this, that housing is a, is a market. It can go up and it can go down. Um, yeah, interest rates are next to nothing as well. So we're kind of living through a, a lot of kind of tough times. Well, I think a lot of people, if you speak to them, money worries tops a poll amongst 25 to 40 year olds about kind of biggest stresses. So yeah, we're going to kind of cover that and kind of think essentially how we can solve these problems or how the person listening at home can kind of take simple achievable action to yeah, improve their lives. So Ellie, thanks so much for joining us. This is kind of second episode. Yeah, And we're going to yeah, kind of cover what it is to be a millennial and what we can do about it. So uh, millennial, um, we talk about this through your blog, um, yeah. This Girl Talks Money. And yeah, tell us more about, so what is it like to be a millennial today? Yeah, so um, I guess, thank you for the introduction. Um, I'm at the other end, I guess, of the millennial spectrum. So I am 27, um, and so I've grown up in the I, the noughties mostly, um, with the boom of technology, but also with parents who, I guess, benefited from the uh, environment that um, was in the 70s and 80s. Um, and I think that you know millennials have a bad press. Um, yeah, no, <laughs> I agreed. think a lot of people um, agree with that, and there's a lot of misconceptions around, um, you know, why it is that we as a generation are struggling to get onto the housing ladder. Yeah. Um, when actually the the reality is quite tough because I think a lot of people look at the headline numbers at you know where salaries are, and granted there are a lot of people now who are lucky enough to earn six-figure salaries in their 20s. But the reality is that the actual cost of living, um, particularly in London, is mad. Um, And even more, um, the rental market is one of the biggest reasons why people are really struggling to get onto the housing, housing ladder. So I think... You know, from my own personal experience, I live and have lived for three years in a, you know, in the southwest London in Clapham, which is 
as a lot of people know, it's a very popular area for 20 to 30 yeah, something. Yeah, I lived there for <laughs> few, good few years. Yeah, it's a great, great area and it's really, yeah, vibrant and fun to live. It's, yeah. To, to buy a house there, it's kind of, it'd be insane to even look on Rightmove how much a house would be. It's kind of... Yeah, I mean, I regularly walk past the estate agent and, um, you know, if you want more than, I guess, a box, you're probably looking um, upwards of £600,000. Yeah. Um, and this is an area which is super popular with young professionals. Um, the reason I say young professionals is because the cost of rent is through the roof. So yeah. um, my last my last rental property, for example, was two bedroom Victorian conversion flat, and the cost per month was just under nineteen hundred pounds yeah. um, for between two people. So. You know, you've got to think, like, what is that as a percentage of your take-home salary? Yeah. Um, and I and my flatmate were fortunate enough at this point to be earning a much above average salary. Yeah. But that's, the, that's not the norm. Yeah. Um, and we struggled to save. Yeah. So, you know, you've got to think about, like, what actually are people spending compared to what they're earning? And yeah. when it comes to London... Um, a lot of people are spending over half of their income on yeah. living expenses yeah. before you even get into kind of, you know, things that you need to, to survive, like food yeah. and like some kind of social life. Yeah. Um, so as much as it seems, you know, as simple as spend less, yeah. it's actually quite hard to spend less because you also then add in the factor that you have to travel in yeah. and travel is also very expensive. Yeah. So, you know, if you live a bit further out, you also then increase your cost of commuting. So yeah. um, if you're trying to get on the career ladder, you're trying to, you know, meet people, you're trying to socialise, um, you're trying to enjoy your mid-20s, yeah. then it's a really difficult position to be put in yeah. where you're trying to juggle all of these different things that you're trying to achieve, but also... I guess this pressure that increasingly is at the back of your mind about how am I ever going to be able to afford a house? Yeah, it's also travel time as well. I remember if you, you can buy a house that might be less in price, but then you're spending two hours, three hours a day, like traveling yeah. in and out. And it's yeah, coming back to kind of quality of life, like what are you living for? Like, are you just living to... Yeah, to, to work and travel, or actually living to have a, have a good life. No, you raised some really interesting points there. I, I guess I come from it almost lucky to be in a position I'm both a renter and an owner. So I own a flat in Bristol. I've got a love-hate relationship with property. I had been gazumped twice, uh, which is frustrating as it is. So I got gazumped in Tooting and I was going to buy a house in Croydon as well. And I also had another house fall through, fun enough, in Surbiton. It is when I was doing all my kind of the sensible things of buying, this was in my 20s, buy, I was going to buy a house in Surbiton and then it didn't work out. But I almost look back at it like that, that was a really good thing that happened to me because you live in Clapham now, that's where I actually moved to Clapham after that and probably had the best 10 years of my life, like just going, you know, enjoying life. I wouldn't have met my current partner if I'd um, bought that original house. And I almost kind of like, I didn't want to... I was buying this house in Surbiton, which is like classic suburbia. Almost like I was kind of flashed forward to like 50, where I'd be like living my <laughs> life, where like just living in this house, where I'd be, you know, working nine to five and coming back, working to, to, to pay for this house, this overpriced house. So, so yeah, it's, it's a challenge. Um, you, you mentioned a really interesting fact before about how many empty houses there are in the UK. Yeah, so... Um I heard this morning a statistic which, um, interestingly, was part of a programme um, that the radio were discussing about the housing crisis. And they actually mentioned that there are over 20 million yeah. 
bedrooms, which aren't even a first spare room. So they're a second or third or fourth spare room that yeah. are unoccupied. So yeah. there's a massive issue of under-occupation in the country because we've got lots of aging people. Yeah. Um, we've got, as we know, an aging population who are reluctant to downsize. Yeah. So they are staying in kind of five, six-bedroom houses um, because, I guess, they, they feel that they've earned the right to, which they have, but they've got younger generations beneath them who can't buy, I guess, in the area that they want to buy because these people are occupying these big houses. But also they've got potentially like children and grandchildren who are really struggling to get onto the housing ladder because they don't have any cash available yeah. um, because a lot of the cash is being held in those big houses. And yeah. because obviously we're living a lot longer, people's inheritance isn't coming to them until I guess far too late for a lot of people yeah yeah no it's a really interesting point I think housing is a very much kind of a positional good is what they call it in economics but by that I mean it's uh, it's quite a status symbol so if people buy houses to kind of prove how good they are and how kind of well they've done in life it's kind of an emotional purchase so we as humans we kind of it's our home we want to live somewhere nice which is as humans that's kind of natural but it's almost it can be for if someone's wanting to buy and yeah people end up paying more for actually a few you know bricks and mortar what actually it is but people think because it's their home they can tend to over stretch how much they can afford yeah and it's also yeah also how much it's kind of a position um it's kind of packaged up as a uh, financial good so people always i know these a lot of people i'm sure look on right move to see how much their house has gone up in the last six months or something (laughs) and it's yeah it's become yeah kind of um Almost like they think of it like a they think of it like the pension pot, where, where yeah. But then all this kind of money sat in kind of bricks and mortar. It's yeah, it's, it's a tough one to 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 beat. Um, I know if you look at London, there's loads of houses being built all around London. I didn't I could have looked at more facts, but there's if you just go around um, kind of Battersea area, there's yeah. so many flats. But I guess are they building them for the right people? Is no. that maybe not the And that's a big issue is that there's a lot of luxury developments being yeah. built or that have started to be built when actually that is not addressing the problem at all yeah. because the problem is very much at the lower end of the market yeah. and people that need houses rather than people that probably need a third or fourth yeah. house. Um but I mean, I think the other big factor as well, um, just on your point around security yeah. and status, is that um, is that people feel like they need a house for stability. Yeah. And I think this is largely a consequence of the lack of stability in our rental market in the UK. Yeah. Um, so the UK is in quite a unique position compared to the continent, at least, where house ownership is seen or considered to be the norm yeah um whereas in a lot of european countries it isn't and the main reason for that being that as a tenant you have a lot more protection yeah so you have um the government make sure and the state make sure that you can't be exploited as a tenant in a lot of countries so you have longer tenancies you have protection around the increases in your rent yeah so you can actually know that as a tenant you've got a home for 10 years yeah which i think makes a massive difference whereas here a lot of people cite the reason that they are desperate to buy is so they don't have that fear of getting 30 days notice yeah um particularly with families when you've got kids in schools yeah um and if you suddenly know that your landlord at any time could turn around and say i'm selling yeah which yeah no it's a super interesting point no it's a super relevant point it makes yeah a lot of sense that security of 
kind of yeah where we're going to live it's so yeah it's so important it's such a human emotion i talk in the book about uh, maslow's hierarchy of needs and that uh, that you think of that pyramid um yeah one of the needs is right down at the bottom which is actually where we live so for and it's kind of mindset as well so also talk about kind of if you have somewhere to live somewhere secure it's that kind of peace of mind that you're nothing's gonna yeah that your landlord's not gonna kick you out like you say no that's that's a, a super interesting point so tell us more about what what can someone do then what's what um if I was being if I was being controversial, I would say um, tax. So, would tax implication would be a good way to change things? So, I think of tax as a good thing. It pays for hospitals, schools, all the roads, all the good things. You could actually tax better. I think you could tax yeah. land, not income. I would say if you look at all the great economics, economics, economists, uh, I should say from the past, like the Adam Smiths and literally about, about ten economists, all have said that taxing land is much better than taxing income. So imagine, I don't know, if you were, this is me going off the rant, but like imagine your pay packet, you wouldn't get taxed 20, 40%. Instead, it, it, would get, it would get put on land, so people would, the, essentially it wouldn't be so beneficial to own property. And also another one is the green belt, although I'm a big fan of the environment and think biodiversity is hugely important, especially the climate emergency we're facing. Um, there's a lot of wasted space. I live in Oxford and you just see there's a lot of kind of uh, land that's kept for sheep and, and then they, yeah, it's kind of, actually we should be kind of smarter how we use our land. Like we could use, I don't know, like talk about vertical farming and the less, because we eat less meat now because there's a kind of big vegan movement um, that takes up less beef or less kind of, um, space for meat then potentially we could have more space to build housing yeah that's these are kind of the harebrained schemes i think of about <laughs> no I, I, i'm just kind of thinking but there's, yeah. there's surely it's a problem that someone that needs solving it's um i think everyone i speak to it's always comes back to housing i think it always yeah. kind of um yeah so yes essentially and you mentioned kind of about different state housing as well and yeah the continent was a good point as well so yeah how would maybe talk more about um, yeah, your experience and what kind of what you've heard more about it, or your friends, what what are they doing? Yeah, so I mean, I think the the reality of the situation at the moment is that if you want to buy, particularly in London, you need help. And yeah, it's it's sad, but it's true. And I think that one, you know, one of the things I say to a lot of people is if you can have the help, then yeah. you know, no one would not take it. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't begin to solve the issues. I yeah. think, you know, I think there's so many things you touched on there, like one of them being the infrastructure. Yeah. So I think there have been promising signs, you know, things like um, Crossrail, which still isn't finished, yeah. um, which are trying to increase the connectivity yeah. of, I guess, the suburbia to London, yeah. um, making it, you know, more available. But I also think that you're right that, you know, tax and the way that property is treated by yeah. the government um, and as an asset is, is really interesting. I think it's really difficult because what I've seen happen a lot is, you know, when you're trying to buy, you obviously want there to be more available housing. And yeah. um, London has a, there's, there's a policy, I think it's a law, which means that you can only build certain like to a certain height yeah. for example which is why london 
hasn't developed at the speed it needs to. Yeah. Um, whereas other cities obviously don't have that, so they've just yeah. built high rises. Yeah. There's certain restrictions about how you can hire. I think there've been yeah. a lot of rest- um, they've been lifted to. Essentially, you can build to if there's another house around it that's four stories, you can essentially build that same Up story. Yeah. But that's yeah, all, all these things that um, that that could could be brought in. I think. Um, yeah, that, no, it's super interesting. I think help to buy scheme was a really, I think is a really terrible policy personally. I think it was um, personally brought in to win an election, um, which, and it's caused, yeah, lending to people that necessarily can't afford to lend to. I know maybe people have benefited from it, but from essentially the housing, if you look at how much houses have risen, I think it went to like, uh, 2000 yeah, basically inc- massively increased the cost of housing and also low interest rates have meant p- more people have borrowed and also um, the quantitative easing as well which is what happened after the financial crash essentially uh, Bank of England printed loads of money it printed 375 billion pounds which could have been spent on infrastructure or improving yeah. green policies or improving transport or improving housing although it went essentially it went on to um, onto the balance sheets and it, that increased asset prices. So all, all these kind of policies, I think, have, yeah, have all caused problems to the essentially millennial generation. So the way I think of the millennial generation is it's a bit like Cinderella. So the way I, I, in the book I talk about like Cinderella, like she's uh, struggling to get to the ball and you've got kind of Generation X who have kind of Jenny X, I talk, she's like a character in the book and she essentially like, she's... Um, bought loads of houses like my brother's classic Generation X he's done really well at the property market um, the and landlords then, yeah exactly and then and then you've got kind of the boomer generation who's like another who's another like the ugly sisters who essentially <laughs> um, yeah who uh, yeah who've done well at the property market but just because of the, the way the millennials kind of grown up through the financial crash I don't necessarily think we've kind of done that well, but I think the 2020s to I think is going to be our generation. I think our our. Uh... Oh, I hope so. <laughs> but it's I mean it's difficult because I guess once you're, you know, the housing ladder is almost like this gateway, and I think that there's a bit of this perception and also maybe reality of like once you're when you're on one side, what you want to happen on the other side is very different to when you then are on the other side. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, one of the things in London that's been a big issue is that there's so many people that don't, or that will like kind of protest against planning applications yeah. because they don't want their own property to be yeah. devalued. And They're kind of nimbin, not in my back garden. Kind yeah, of thing. exactly. And it's kind of, you know, you've got to ask yourself the question, like, is it all about you or is it about a greater, pic- a bigger picture? Yeah, like it's a, a greater difficult good? one, isn't it? Because I think as humans, we're all kind of, you know, you have to put food on your table, you have to have a roof to have over your head. But then it's, yeah, looking to the long term and, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, it's a difficult one. I guess it's why it's podcast like this. Well, it's been super interesting talking to you. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. I think that's been, yeah, really interesting. I Well, from kind of how would you solve it, I think there are schemes that are kind of helped to buy schemes. I don't necessarily think it's right for everyone, but there are out schemes out there. I bought outside of London, which I kind of lived in London for so long, and I've kind of, I manage a property in Bristol, which did really well, um, and but I still rent in Oxford. So it's, I live in an area where I really like, but I essentially, I've, so hold the book about money, millennial money mindset is splitting your money between land, business and reserve. So it's not, we kind of got, especially over 10, 20 years, we've kind of got caught up in this kind of, 
you must you must buy property or the whole mantra of you can't lose with property which is it's not yeah, it, that whole thing yeah you can't, you can't go on. but um yeah so essentially there's other assets you can buy it's not necessarily property but there are benefits of property that you can leverage by property which yeah. by that people at home essentially you can use your deposit and if you have a twenty thousand pound deposit you can borrow money from the bank and they will give you more money to buy a higher value property there are and it's having a family house is really good for tax efficiencies and all that good stuff as well um but yeah that's essentially just trying to think like how the person at home can kind of benefit from kind of taking simple achievable steps but yeah any anything you want to add to to that yeah, I mean, I guess what I would just say to anybody that kind of is in the position of, you know, aspiring to buy a home is to to don't lose hope. Um, yeah. It's just to stay optimistic and also just to be sensible and efficient with what you do have, make the most of what you do have um, and have a plan, I think. Yeah. Make make a plan that you yeah. can stick to. Don't set yourself unachievable goals when it comes to housing because I think that's one of the big issues as well at the moment is that people look at right move like you say and say okay i want that one yeah and don't really think about how tangible it is as yeah. a goal um and so you're setting yourself up for disappointment so i think adjust expectations as yeah. well when it comes to housing and don't necessarily rush to get off the rental market i yeah. think you have to make sure that that purchase is the right purchase because it is really expensive to buy a house yeah yeah okay cool thank you so much and if someone wants to your blog or yes. Instagram tell yeah. us more about it. so Where can um, they find you? I'm at com or at thisgirltalksmoney on Instagram um, and Facebook cool so I'm also on Instagram so millennial underscore money underscore mindset also on Facebook you can look at me on LinkedIn um, we've got a board game coming out which I'm super excited about I have um, a session on Tuesdays at 11 o'clock so if you want to get involved with that I'm on Eventbrite so we talk about the seven deadly sins of investing so essentially like the seven biggest mistakes I see people making constantly and then I offer five steps to money mindset so like having a life plan is actually step three which is super important as well so I create build a life plan around clients so yeah thank you so much and yeah thanks for joining us this has been millennial money mindset if you want the fruits you need the roots so please like please subscribe and please tell one person about this podcast because it really helps helps us out thanks again